This episode of the Cinemavention podcast is brought to you by Routing Wonk, RozJ001, Alex Hanna, and Wabbit Magic. Want to find out how to become one of the names listed? Go to patreon.com slash wscottis1 to find out how. Hi, I'm wscottis1, and I have not seen the movie Casablanca. <gasps> Increasing his cultural IQ, one movie at a time. This is Cinemavention. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Cinemavention podcast, where we review and discuss classic movies that I should have seen long ago. Today, we'll be discussing the movie Casablanca, which my guest has seen before. This guest needs no introduction, but I'm going to give one to him anyway. He is the host of the Daily Tech News Show, Cord Killers, It's a Thing, Sword and Laser, Current Geek, Let's Talk About Star Wars, Pretend I'm Dumb About Star Wars. <laughs> And Eats Me West, so many more, I'm sure. Please welcome Tom Merritt to the show. Tom, it is such an honor for you to be here. Welcome to the show. Oh, man, thanks for having me. Uh, and thanks for for, for letting me uh, watch Casablanca again. It is uh, my favorite movie of all time, and any excuse to watch it again is a good one. Uh, and this was a great one. Yeah, I, I I knew that that was going to bring you into the show. I was like, I'm gonna, I need to find a way to entice him to get on the show, and I knew that was the way to do it. <laughs> I would have come on anyway, but this just made it extra fun. <laughs> totally, totally. Now, uh, before we uh, get to talking about the stats here, I want to mention uh, right off the top because I did this in the Patreon um, audio episode as well. Uh, but if you hear me um, mispronounce the uh, the movie by accident. Uh, that's because I've mentioned this on a previous episode, but as a kid, I used to watch this show on PBS. Uh, it was it was like a math show. It was called Cyber Chase, and they had an episode called Castle Blanca. Um, uh-huh. And so if I say that accidentally during the show, uh, that's why, because <laughs> it's kind of been ingrained in my brain. And supposedly they did take some inspiration from the movie, but it's been a oh, while, sure, yeah. so I don't remember everything in it, but. But uh, but having said that, Casablanca is available for rent or purchase on any major internet distributor. You can also stream it on HBO Max. Uh, Casablanca was released by Warner Brothers Pictures on January 23rd, 1943 in the U.S. Uh, they also had a, a screening back in November of 1942 as well. Uh, the movie was directed by Michael Curtis and stars Humphrey Bogart, in- Ingrid Bergman, Paul Henrid, Henrid and read Claude Rains, Conrad Veidt, and Dooley Wilson. And this movie had a budget of eight hundred seventy-eight to nine hundred fifty thousand dollars, which these days <laughs> pittance <laughs> made three point seven to six point nine million in theaters, so roughly sixty million dollars in today's money. Uh, but Tom, when was the first time that you saw this movie in particular? You know, I don't even, I feel like I've always seen it. Uh, I, I don't remember the first time I ever saw it because it was one of those movies that would come on on the independent channels on the weekend when I was growing up. And, and so it would just kind of be on. So I, I know probably the first time I saw it, I didn't see the whole thing at once. It was probably on in the living room and I sat down and started, you know, getting sucked in. But the, I remember in college, watching it for a class and I had seen it before. And that was the first time I, I really appreciated it and understood, you know, the allegory and how it related to, you know, feelings around world war two at the time that it was made. And that's sort of when it became my fa- favorite movie. So I, I probably saw it when I was like 12 or 13 for the first time, but it, it was when my freshman year in college, when I was taking a, a movie course that I really decided like, Oh my gosh, I love this movie. Like I, I, I understood so much more about it. Yeah. And um, and speaking of that uh, college class front, I mean, I from my research in doing this movie, there's a lot of colleges that still use Casablanca as a um, um, as a material to uh, study for film class. So it's such a timely it's such a timeless movie, I should say. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's um, it's considered, you know, usually up in the top 10 movies of all time, depending on what list you're looking at. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I would um, and I would agree to con- I would agree with those um, with those lists, because um, despite this movie coming out in 1942, 
it's surprising how much of it still holds up even today. Um, and, you know, the first thing that you'll notice right away is that the movie is in black and white. And by the way, that old Warner Brothers logo is just absolutely incredible. With, with, with like the, 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 you know, the mayor name, like embossed over the, the WB. Uh, yeah, <laughs> totally. Like cult of personality, right? Yeah, right. Um, and in my mind, like the fact that it, the fact that it's in black and white would really be the only indicator, really, that you would see that this is an old movie. Because otherwise, I mean, it, it's it's so well done that you don't even really realize how old of a movie it is. And there's so many instances of why that's the case, you know? Yeah, there's a visual vocabulary to it that really, you know, puts it in the film noir era and and you can you can look at that and say oh well obviously it came then but it was on the forefront of a lot of that so it set the definition for something that is so common now that i think that's part of the timelessness is you look at it and you're like oh yeah that's how you make a film noir uh and you forget that like they there hadn't been as many made uh when casa blanca was made but you're right that if you if you step away from it being in black and white and 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 the shadowy look even the themes are are not terribly dated, except in so much as they need to be dated because it was set in 1942 and a modern movie could be set in 1942 as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the only real criticism uh, that I had about this movie in terms of um, things that don't really hold up is, I mean, honestly, the lighting was really the only thing that I noticed, although even you could even make an argument that the lighting choices in the movie were particularly um, thought of um, when they were making this movie. But I don't think any of those <laughs> lighting choices would ever cut it in today's Hollywood, though. If you if, unless you were making an homage, right? right. Like if you're like, oh, I want to make a noir movie like they used to make. Uh, yeah, th- those 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 lighting choices are they're a flavor, I guess you might say. It's not It's not how you would choose to make a modern movie. You're right. Yeah. But even the pacing, like I, I, I was normally when you have old movies like this, like you like sometimes um, the pacing is a little slow. And I've noticed with some of the movies that I've already covered, even on this show, like the pacing sometimes just feels really slow. But in my mind, like the pacing was actually very decent, like especially for its time. Like at no point did I feel the pacing was too slow in any way. Um, and it's funny because uh, I I just covered Aliens a couple episodes ago on this uh, podcast. And uh, Casablanca, in my opinion, has better pacing than Aliens. And <laughs> Aliens came out 40 years later, right? You know, I, I wonder if part of that is the kind of movie it was. So when you think of Citizen Kane, Godfather, Aliens, these are, you know, considered some of the, the greatest types of work. They they were made with that idea in mind. We're going to make a great movie, right? Whereas Casablanca was was just another, like, title that they were going to churn out, right? This was for the masses. Like, let's throw a love story set in the war. Boom. You know, mm-hmm. get Bogart and Bergman in it. Boom. It's, it's box office. And if you do go back and watch a lot of those kinds of movies from that era you'll find that their pacing is a lot more, maybe not modern, but a lot faster mm-hmm. because they were just meant to like get, get folks into the, into the theater and out on a Saturday afternoon. They weren't trying to be a big spectacle, you know, a Dr. Zhivago kind of event. And so I think Casablanca, when you, you know, when you were mentioning the the names of the actors, of course, those are big name actors, but the directors, the writers, those are not people that, you go, oh yeah, of course they won so many Oscars. Like this, this performed well beyond its expectations, and I think it really was sort of just supposed to be a an average mainstream movie. And maybe that explains why the pacing was was kept so so quick. Right, and and to that point, like at at no point does it, does this movie like you were mentioning that this movie was kind of rushed to production. Um, and uh, we were talking about uh, how um, at the beginning of the movie, you notice that map of Africa is very different than today's Africa. And um, when I was hearing you talking about this on Spoiler in Time, um, at this time, uh, when the movie came out, um, the North Africa invasion uh, had taken place a few weeks earlier. And it was actually rushed out 
to take advantage of that time. And yet this movie does not seem like it was rushed into production, which makes it even more astonishing to me, you know? Yeah. That, that Hollywood factory that they had back then was impressive. Uh, you know, we think of movies as having to take, you know, two, three years, you know, to, and, and back then they would, they would get a script, uh, start writing it, uh, pound it out, get the actors on the set, shoot for a couple months, run it through edit, you know, get it out of there. And, the, and that was the Casablanca took advantage of that in, in getting out because the play that it's based on was set in 1938 uh, the original, you know, script uh, was was written during a fast moving war where conditions were constantly changing. So mm-hmm. uh, it's it's kind of amazing how timeless it is, given that they they could have pinned something down in there that, you know, predicted something or assumed something that ended up being proved untrue. But but like you said, they even though they had to rush it, it doesn't feel rushed. It doesn't feel like they cut any corners. Right. Yeah. And um, and yeah, the United States had just entered World War Two when this came out um, and which makes this line of um, when Major Strasser uh, is talking about the quote unquote German war. Right. Um, and he's talking about how it's, you know, may reach the shores of the United States. Like it, it just puts it into even more powerful context, um, especially um, because you have to consider that when they wrote that line, it was before Japan had attacked Pearl Harbor. And (laughs) considering the timeline, um, when Rick says there are certain sections of New York major that I wouldn't advise you try to invade. And (laughs) I mean, when you, when you hear about Pearl Harbor and how the United States just absolutely went full throttle ahead, um, when, um, when that took place, I mean, it, it just, it, it was a very much a different time uh, when the play was originally wrote. Yeah, the, the play was written in 1938 uh, when Germany was being aggressive, but had not invaded France. Uh, and, and it was based on a bar on the Mediterranean in France, but they set the play in Casablanca. And you get a lot of those those metaphors in the story of the U S being neutral, you know, Bogart represents Rick represents the U S before it entered the war where it's like, I I'm just going to keep to myself. I'm going to stay out of this. And that was the isolationist movement in the U S was very powerful up until Pearl Harbor. Right. Uh, And so the, the play was sort of was, was using a lot of those themes. And then December 7th, 1941, you get Pearl Harbor. They start writing the script for this movie in January, 1942, like right in the wake of that, of that fervor. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it is interesting to think like you could have seen them change the story to be more full throttle pro, you know, us go get them. But instead they still aimed it at the isolationists who might be resisting that move to, to war and saying, you can't stay on the sides. It, it almost comes off as a, as a propaganda film in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. And and Warner Brothers was at that time really the only movie um um distributor that would really even take risks like that back in that back then too. And so mm. like it's it's absolutely remarkable. Um when uh so let let's talk about like the the movie here. Um I I when when we saw the scene at the very beginning it's very much a uh, they're basically setting up what Casablanca looks like. Right. So and and at one point they um, uh, they are rounding up. Uh, they're starting to round up uh, immigrants. And by the way, some would argue making unlawful arrests <laughs> of just random people for the killing. The usual suspects. Round yeah. Up the usual suspects. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And. And it's interesting to me that, um, you know, here in the U.S., we've had the immigration debate for quite a while now and, you know, what we should and shouldn't be doing about immigrants living here. And, you know, I'm not going to go into the specifics about it because that's not what the show is for. But but I but I draw a lot of parallels to that in this movie. Um, Like it's different, granted, but but there's there's so many there's so many similarities this, it, it's such a complex situation because, you know, from from the 10,000 foot view, you have to remember that this is set in 
the end of colonial times. This is colonial Africa, right? This is an African country ruled by the French. But France, in the setting of the movie, has been invaded by Germany. And so it is being ruled by the unoccupied French, which if you haven't studied World War II, that's probably really confusing because you're like, wait, but didn't the Germans occupy France? And for a while after Germany invaded Paris, they occupied the north of France, but they let the south of France continue to be, quote unquote, free, mm-hmm. uh, meaning as long as they did what Germany wanted, they could pretend to be an independent country. But then you have this colonial uh, Morocco, Fr- French Morocco, which is separated from that France, but nominally connected to it. So it's it's like three times removed. So when you're talking about immigration, like who are the immigrants? Where are they coming from? Uh, also, it's probably confusing, you know, if you're watching this again without really like diving into the history, like why is Germany even allowing Louis to run things? Why, why, why can't they, you know, Germany runs the world at this, at this point in the war. Why would they even let him get away? But that early in the war, they were sort of trying to pretend like, oh, no, no, we're going to allow countries to continue to have some sense of self-determination. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just a weird situation. And so, yeah, you're, you're right. You've got all of these people streaming through this loophole country, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, which is slightly freer than than unoccupied France, uh, but still has influence and the Germans can show up and, and try to flex their muscle, but they can't do everything they want. Uh, and so when he's rounding up the usual suspects, he kind of can take anybody he wants, mm-hmm. but there are uncertain pressures about who he can and can't. Uh, I also love that, that they set it up as being incredibly international. Uh, I, I, if I have a, one of the criticisms of the movie is that it does ignore the colonial plight and the native population mm-hmm. uh, quite a bit. Uh, and it, and, and it just doesn't show that side of it. Uh, but they do capture European international flavor, uh, you know, with Bulgarians and Germans and Russians and, and trying to show that this, this was Europe fleeing through this corridor. Yeah. And, and you'll notice that a lot of the people who are trying to get their papers, are trying to get into America at this point. Like that seems to be like a super common theme throughout this entire movie. And because, you know, America is the neutral country and we're, we're about freedom, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the neutral country and it's safe. It's across an entire ocean. (laughs) So, you know, you can, you could flee to England. It's pretty free too. But it's in bombing distance of Berlin. So yep. maybe try to get a little farther, right? So yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, no. And uh, and at the beginning of the movie, they talk about uh, how this place is full of vultures. Vultures it, everywhere. Right? Um, but where do all those vultures seem to meet? At a little place called Rick's Cafe Americane, which seems to have all kinds of folks in this establishment. I mean, you were talking about how... Um, the country itself was just just had a mix of everybody in there. Right. And, you know, that establishment is kind of like the go to uh, place. Right. Like it's where everybody is like everybody gets to hang out at Rick's Cafe. Right. Yeah. You've got uh, you've got a, a woman singing in Spanish. You have uh, the, the French woman that that Rick seems to maybe have, you know, had a one night fling uh, with. You've got the Russian bartender. You've got the good German, uh, you know, the, the house manager, Carl. Uh, you have the the Germans who the two German, the German couple trying to escape. You have the Bulgarian couple trying to get the exit visa. Uh, it's 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 it, it Rick's is where everyone goes. Absolutely. It's yeah. it's quite a thing yeah and and it's interesting that rick um he's choosing not to take sides in anything right like and i think that's why at least in my opinion i think that's why his nightclub is where everybody likes to go to like you know considering the time period again like it's astonishing to see like people in there and they would seemingly not get along right but you know given how tensions were so high at this time you know that's what's so profound about it and you know, it almost makes me wonder why we can't seemingly get along in society today. You know, if if <laughs> these people can do it in the most extreme circumstances, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, 
As long as no one's uh, uh, singing the horse vessel song uh, <laughs> over in the corner wearing wearing German uniforms, everybody gets along just fine. Um, yeah, it, it is interesting. And as I mentioned, you know, the one thing that does get ignored here is the native population of Morocco and Africans. Uh, and I feel like that is represented by the blue parrot. The blue parrot is Casablanca natives, right? And you can go there. You can go. Rick goes there. Other people go there. Uh, but the blue parrot is, this is Casablanca. Rick's is for the expats. Ritz is the, Rick's is like, if you're not from here, this is where you all can gather. Yeah. Well, and and the other prevalent thing in uh, Rick's Cafe, tons of cigarette smoke. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I'm watching this movie and I'm just seeing yeah. like smoke just everywhere um in that building. Like, ugh, like, <laughs> especially knowing what we know now, it's just like, just you you just you just cringe at that because you're just like Ugh. it wasn't that long ago that bars here were were like that too. yeah uh I st- it wasn't that long ago that i couldn't imagine them ever not being like that but yeah, yeah. i still remember i still remember going to pizza hut when i was like probably eight nine ten years old right me and me and the family would go to pizza hut and they would still ask us smoking or non-smoking. Like it was, it <laughs> yeah. was like the mid two. It wasn't until like the mid two thousands when you stopped hearing that question being asked, and yeah. it's astonishing. And you know, speaking of Rick, he is. He seems to be a very bitter. You know, he's very cold with people. He doesn't like to make time for anyone. Um, you know, you, you have uh, Yovana who is um you know, his ex who he just, just does not give a damn about and could care less about. I think even calling her an ex might be taking it. Uh, like I, I, I think, I think maybe they, they dated once. Like That's the impression I got from Rick anyway, is he's like, Oh yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have considered you an ex. Mm -hmm. He's pretty cold about it. Right. Yeah, no. And, and, and the movie sets up Rick as this kind of just like, you know, arrogant, like person that doesn't, really want to <laughs> doesn't doesn't like getting along with people to say the yeah. least it's a pretty classic humphrey bogart style character True. Uh, you know hard hard shell on the outside but through the course of the movie you find out he's got a a soft heart of gold yeah now and let me ask you this too because um because it like here's the thing that's weird is that rick is originally from america right and and he's living um, here in Casablanca, like the best explanation we have. And I don't think it really is ever explained in the movie. You know, he runs away from America and he can't return. Um, the closest we get to any kind of explanation, which I don't know if I can put too much stock in, is when he's talking with um, Captain Renault and he's speculating and, he, and, Cap- and the captain is speculating that he either absconded the church funds or he ran off with a senator's wife, or that he killed a man. And apparently, according to Rick, it's a combination of all three. And I don't yeah. know how much stock that I put in that, though. No, he, Rick isn't answering literally. He's he's deflecting the question, right? So, uh, what? yeah, what do we know? I, I think the idea, when you're thinking of like, okay, when they were writing this, what did they mean? I think they just wanted to say, he's got a mysterious past. And they probably didn't write a backstory, right? This isn't the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So there's sure. probably no no thinking of like, you know, in Casablanca 4, we'll reveal. Uh, th- this is just like, he did something, he can never go back. We don't need to figure out what it was. You can imagine lots of things. But it is interesting to try to deduce what it could have been because we know he thought on the side of the loyalists in the Spanish Civil War against the fascists, that's mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know he ran guns to Ethiopia, uh, at one point that's mentioned. And I think it's major Strasse that says specifically you, we know you can't return to America. So there's something preventing him from returning, whether it's, he renounced his citizenship or that he would be arrested immediately upon return. Uh, he can't go back, which is kind of a giveaway later when he pretends like he's going to go back with Ilsa. It's like, mm, I mean, maybe I'll go to Lisbon, but he's probably not going back to America. My guess is it's supposed to be that he was maybe involved in some shady business in order mm-hmm. to facilitate that gun running, <laughs> yeah. particularly. 
uh, and so violated some laws and 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 burnt his bridges for a cause because we're we're meant to believe that he was he was idealistic until uh, he got dumped by Ilsa and that's when he just kind of became this more cold-hearted person who doesn't care about anybody. Yeah, no, and he and he's always taking the stance of I'm I'm always neutral, right? Like I never take sides in anything. I stick my neck out for no one. Exactly, right? Um, but here's uh, here's something that is noteworthy about that because um, you know, because in the movie, um, Sam, the guy who um, is playing the piano at the establishment, um. It, it basically it seems from the flashback, which we which we know about a little bit later. But Sam obviously has known Rick for a long time, and and he kind of went with Rick when he moved from uh, Paris to Casablanca, right? And you know, and and he and his seemingly former love interest Ilsa, um, um, is. You know, like they are in the flashback together, right? And mm-hmm. and Sam is kind of like the band leader at the club, right? That that would that be a fair representation? He's kind of the band I, leader. Yeah, I could never quite pin down what Sam's job was at the Paris location. Did did he even work there? <laughs> like, I don't know. It, 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 that's left intentionally vague too. It's like he mm-hmm. knows Sam. Sam and he are kind of teammates of some sort Mm -hmm. you know where rip goes sam goes they're buddies uh but yeah i I never quite could comprehend what his official role at the cafe there was it doesn't feel like he's the owner the way he is in casablanca right yeah and um and and i know that um when you and brian were talking about this um and you know one of the things that was that seemingly is dated about um Casablanca, you know, the fact that he is the only black guy in this film and his role is limited to, you know, basically just being the piano player. And me personally, when I was watching this, like, I never even saw it that way. And I don't know, like, considering the time period, right? Like, this is the 1940s. Like, this, it, this could have been a hell of a lot worse than it was, right? But it portrays Sam, like, in a good way and in many ways in the in the 40s that was groundbreaking for the time right um and and especially uh th- there was that line though uh when when ferrari is trying to buy rick's nightclub right and he settles on well if he can't get the nightclub he tries to buy sam and you know fortunately rick isn't interested in selling humans or his establishment right so yeah, yeah. so and on the one hand, okay, so you're in Africa, granted North Africa, but you're in Africa and <laughs> Sam's the only black person you see. Uh, that's that's problematic. But you're right. For the time period, uh, his character is is treated like any other character. It's not given a lot of depth, but neither is Carl. Uh, you know, neither is Yvonne. Like it, 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 Sam probably has the most depth of anybody that isn't uh, Captain Renault. Ilsa, uh, Laszlo or Rick. Uh, so, so, you know, you, you could complain that he should have had more depth, but it does sort of fit the template. Uh, the other thing to think about too, is, um, the people who wrote the play, the, the couple that wrote the play, Murray Burnett and Joan Allison, uh, were inspired to write it because they visited a cafe in France where there was a, black man playing piano for a bunch of expats, refugees, and and Nazis uh, mm. in 1938. So Sam's character is actually one of the few that is literally based on a real person. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. But like, but I, I, but considering once again, it's like the 1940s, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm applauding the fact that they just, the just the way that it was handled just even back then like that it's yeah, yeah. it's great for the time period and um and there's a famous line speaking of sam uh there's a famous line that everyone says is from this movie except it's misquoted right so they reference the line uh, the, the, when people reference this movie they're always referencing the line play it again sam but here's the problem it's actually not 
said at all in the entire movie. Like the closest you get, I think, is you hear Ilsa say, play it, Sam, as in as time goes by. And then you hear Rick say, play it again later on. And so I guess this is just one of those Mandela effect scenarios, right? No, there's so many quotes like that. Uh, And uh, that that is is one of the the most famous, I think, because what does he say? You, You he says, play it once, Sam, for old time's sake. That's what she says. Right. Play it once, not play it again. Right. It's almost the opposite. Uh, And then. Rick says, play it, Sam. You played it for her. You can play it for me. But he doesn't say again. He just says, play it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we we recast the quote uh, ourselves. But man, speaking of quotes, a lot of good quotes in this movie. Uh, there's, 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 uh, we'll always have Paris. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like this is the big, Louis, this looks like it's the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Right. Uh, so, so many things come out of here. I would like to make the argument that Han shooting Greedo was inspired by Rick and Strauss's gunplay at the very end. <laughs> That's funny. No, I, I like that. I like that. Because you could make an argument like, did Strasse shoot first or did Rick shoot first, right? Because mm. if Strasse shot first, then I think he would have hit Rick. But I think Rick got Strasse before Strasse could pull the trigger which means Rick shot first, kind of like Han shooting first. Same sort of situation. Rick's the good guy, but he shot first. Sorry. Yeah, right? Um, and and I love how, uh, so there's this uh, character that you see like at the beginning of, in Rick's cafe, right? He's only in the movie for like 10 minutes tops, right? Oh, I know. And the, the amazing Peter Lorre, uh, just if you haven't ever seen a movie with Peter Lorre, he's, He's a stalwart, uh, such a such a great actor, and we only get him for the first part. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm gonna butcher this pronunciation, but Ugart, I think Ugarti, Ugarti, I think is how they say yeah, it. yeah. Um, and I love how like he was trying so hard to be best buddies with Rick, and <laughs> and Rick, yeah, yeah, and Rick's just not buying it, right? And what's funny is like Rick doesn't realize that those letters are for his former lover Ilsa, right? to get back to the United States. And, and that's, what's hilarious to me is like, he takes the letters kind of just like, yeah, sure kid. I'll take these, whatever. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You get the feeling that this is an old, old relationship or, you know, as old as a couple of years, obviously Rick hasn't been there that long, but that these, these guys know each other. Well, they're never going to be best friends, but they, you know, they have a begrudging relationship of some sort because you would think if Rick, felt as dismissive about Ugarte as he appears, he wouldn't have gone anywhere near the letters of transit, but he's like, yeah, sure. I'll help you out. No problem. Right. Yeah. And, um, and that was the thing too about, uh, Victor. So we learn, uh, that Victor, um, has escaped from a concentration camp, which is astonishing, right? Because, because when I first heard the line, it's like, um, when Ilsa says, I'm worried for your safety, right? Like I was trying to think like, what? Why would he be worried? Oh, when he's when he's escaping from the concentration camp, and there's, <laughs> you know, there's those Germans, you know, constantly going through that bar. Yeah, no, you probably should be more careful. <laughs> well, um, yeah, and he he's a leader of the resistance, right? He's somebody that that the the Germans uh, do not want out there, you know, fomenting rebellion against them which always led me to to and I, I think about it every time i'm like okay why wouldn't they just kill him right they're uh-huh. the germans and i think it's believable that the germans have said he's dead so many times that even if they did kill him people probably just wouldn't believe it so they'd rather keep him under control uh-huh. they'd rather lock him down in casablanca and prevent him from being able to organize, you know, be able to, to keep him under their thumb. I think that's supposed to be the idea is like, okay, we bottled him up. He keeps getting away. We just keep him in Casablanca and he won't cause any more trouble because he's, he's away from Europe. He's away from the main resistance and we could keep our eye on him and know what he's up to. Uh, right. I, I think that's the idea, but yeah, you, you think that, you know, the minute he showed up in Rick's, they would have just grabbed him. Right. But that's that weird political situation where, you're technically in free France, not free France, but you're in Vichy France. You're in unoccupied France. So yeah, it's a whole weird political thing at the time. Yeah, totally. And 
and Victor and Ilsa, when they first walk in, it's like you you know that they're a couple right away, right? That's established from the beginning. But you don't know until later on in the flashback scene. Um, I mean, you know that Ilsa and Rick already know each other, but you don't know to what extent until that flashback scene, right? And um, and it's when Ilsa asks Sam to play as time goes by, which you hear that song quite quite a number of times throughout the movie. Um, it's almost like Ilsa is intentionally wanting to get Rick's attention. And, and you know, that's why, because Sam is so hesitant, so hesitant to play it. He's like, I, I don't know what you mean. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. And it seems like, uh, it seems like it worked. Right. Because yeah. Rick, because Rick, of course, comes out, he's scowling at Sam to stop playing that. And it's almost like a trigger for him. Right. Oh, totally. Yeah. I, I always took that to mean that Ilsa felt bad about ditching Rick, but uh-huh. was so overjoyed that her husband was alive and that she was re- reunited with him that she's sort of forgotten the implications of what happened because she didn't see it, right? She never saw Rick after she abandoned him at the train station. So she doesn't have an internalization of just how messed up he was by that. And so when she sees Sam... She just thinks, oh, Sam, oh, I got through a hard time because of Sam. And he played that song as time goes by with Rick. Oh, those were the days. And and is not really putting together. Because remember, she says, like, I never expected to see you again. I mm-hmm. d- didn't think you were going to be in Casablanca. That was not on my mind. So I think she's just not quite putting it together when she sees Sam of what that's going to mean. And then when Rick comes barreling out, she's, you can tell she's like, oh, oh, okay, the reality of everything just kind of came crashing down. But also, like, the establishment has Rick's name in it, so you would think, yeah, but... Yeah, how many Ricks? There's a bunch of Ricks in the world. Could be any Rick. <laughs> True. Was, she, she called him Richard anyway, not Rick. So, yeah, I don't know. Right, yeah. And, um, and yeah, that flashback scene, like, th- that flashback scene um, is, like, that. that tells you everything you need to know because, you know, because, yeah, like you said, Ilsa um, assumes that Victor is dead. And so, you know, she starts dating Rick. Um, and, you know, just when things are getting good and they're about to get married, right? Um, Ilsa um, then receives that word that Victor might not actually be dead. And, yeah, no, like you said, it's, it's, ver- it's I think it's ultimately led to why Rick is so cynical and so dry yeah. with people today, right? I, it's, it's so funny. I I go back and forth of whether Ilsa really was as into Rick as Rick was into her in Paris. Right. So Mm. she thinks Laszlo is dead, but remember, she's the one who enforces the like, no, let's not ask each other questions. And Rick is like, come on, tell me everything. She's like, I thought we said no questions. Like she still hasn't let go of her husband emotionally, even though she has given up hope that he's alive she's like i guess he's dead and and so rick is some comfort for her but when he brings up marriage she just kind of smiles right Uh until she knows that victor's alive then when he brings up marriage she's like yeah okay that's yeah i'm not sure about that one um because my husband's still alive but i do think that she legitimately loved him and that's one of the things i love about this is it's a complex story it's not you know, it's not just a love triangle. It's it's an incredibly complex and real emotional story where right. she she legitimately loves two people and they constructed it in a way where she didn't have to betray anybody for that to be true. It she thought he was dead, and then when he wasn't, she immediately went back to her husband. Uh and and yet that there that what was between her and Rick was real. It wasn't like that was yeah. fake. And I I love the complexity of that. Yeah, you know what this reminds me of? It's not exactly the same, but it reminds me of Princess Bride when um you know, when when the princess assumes that um I forget the character's name, uh when when he assumes when she assumes that he's dead after he goes to war. Like it it's oh, right, it's yeah. like a similar story in that regard, right? Wesley, yeah. Wesley, that's it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank um, you, Tinvek. Right. Yeah. No, Tin Tinvek uh Tinvek covered uh Princess Bride with me. So yeah, he's this is a favorite for of his. Um, but going back to uh Casablanca, I mean, yeah, like 
I, I was wondering throughout the movie, like I, I had questions myself, whether if, whether Ilsa still had feelings for Rick, right? Because it's not really clear until the end of the movie um, that that's the case, right? Because, you know, because she is, she meets face to face with Rick because Ilsa is like, just like she, she knows and Victor knows that they, that he has their papers, right? And so Ilsa's trying to uh, get them from Rick and, you know, he, he and, you know, Ilsa's like brings out the gun is like, I'm warning you. Right. But she just can't bring herself to pull the trigger. Right. You know, because, you know, and that's the most powerful scene, I think, in this movie. And 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 it shows you that Rick does still have a heart because he he decides to try to help them escape as an act of appreciation yeah. to Ilsa, I think, in my opinion. Right. Well, everybody is ready and willing to sacrifice themselves for the other. Right. Mm -hmm. Everybody is legitimately uh, in, in love with someone else in this in this threesome. Uh, Laszlo thinks he can trick Ilsa into getting on the plane without him. Uh, and he's going to use Rick to do that. Uh, Ilsa thinks that she can uh, <laughs> she can trick <laughs> Rick into helping Laszlo get on the plane without her. Uh, and she's willing to use him. And Rick ends up using both of them against each other to get them both on the plane. Uh, <laughs> and which, you know, I guess makes sense going back to what we were talking about earlier is like, well, we knew he for some reason couldn't go back to America. So we we should have guessed that he wouldn't. Uh, but mm -hmm. he's so hard boiled and he's been so angry at Ilsa and unwilling to help her that you get convinced, you know, the first time you ever see it, that, that maybe, maybe he's, uh, he, he's gonna, you know, screw over Victor Laszlo, uh, and, and try to take off with Ilsa and recapture things. But he knows that wouldn't be real, that she wouldn't have legitimate feelings. Mm -hmm. Uh, he knows that's dangerous for him. He knows that Victor Laszlo is important for the, the saving of humanity, right? Uh, you know, yeah. the, the world is at war at this point. So, uh, it's, it's an, it's an incredible triangle that they describe here. Although I think the first indication we have of Rick's heart is when he helps the Bulgarian woman's husband win at roulette. Right. Which also reveals that Rick's gambling establishment is totally fixed. Yep. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what was hilarious too. Yeah, no, I, and I had this uh in my notes too. Like that was one of my favorite moments was um uh was that newlywed that asks Rick, yeah. Rick for help with the papers because, you know, Ronald likes to uh likes to give incentives to get papers such as, you know, maybe having some sex with him. Oh yeah. No, he's a horrible, he's a horrible person. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was the 1940s. The anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I think that when he helps the Bulgarian woman, that always makes me tear up a little. Cause I'm like, Oh, he didn't have to do, he gets nothing out of that. Right. Mm -hmm. That doesn't help him at all. In fact, it, it actually hurts him with Renault because Renault's like, why'd you do that? You know, I, now I, now I've got nothing to do to do tonight. Uh, you've got, uh, the, the moment where they sing La Mausolée, the French national anthem and shout down the Germans who are singing the horse vessel song. I love that scene. Yeah. Uh, that gets me every time. And of course the, the ending, like you were talking about. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was a good uh, moment too. Cause, because here's, I, I, I think for me watching this for the first time and me not being in that, time period like when i when i saw that moment uh when they were you know raffle stomping over uh the german song with the basically the french national anthem right like that was <laughs> to me that was kind of funny just because you know like just raffle stomping all over the other song was just funny to me i don't know but but uh but well yeah Oh, I was just going to say that, uh, that when they were shooting this film, like supposedly the crew was starting to tear up when they were doing that scene in particular. Supposedly, well, that's the story anyway. Let's think about it, right? It's it, it's easier for us to look at this from a distance and think, oh, it's the French and the Germans. At the time it was shot, France was occupied by Germany. Mm -hmm. And Paris ha was run by the Nazis. Like, think about that. And then you, you shoot the scene of defiance where they, you know, they outsing the Germans with the French national anthem. 
And I, I don't know if the unoccupied France, the Vichy France continued to use La Marseillaise as, as the national anthem officially or not, but certainly the free French government, which was in exile in London with, with General de Gaulle did. Uh, and so that was, I mean, at the time that was like, you didn't know, you didn't know if France would ever exist again mm-hmm. when you do that scene. That That's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Speaking of my favorite moments, I'm just going to do lightning round some of my favorite moments. Um, you know, we were talking earlier about the old like Warner Brothers logo, like that police station scene when they're conveying um, about the the two uh, German deaths because of um, oh, right. yeah. <laughs> cause of that. And, you know, that old I assume that um, intercom that they were talking on was kind of like the old police radio of the day. Like that was just. <laughs> out of the time that that calling was great. cars calling all cars yeah <laughs> yeah right and um and on that front too when when he's running away from the nazi officers um in the um in rick's club and and the officers are uh, well he's shooting at the officers right you know there's shots fired in the building right and there's this there's all this commotion that's going on right and i love how um after those shots were fired rick's just like you know, everybody calm down. Everything's all right. And people just resumed to going right back to eating their dinner again. Like, yeah, you know what well, I mean? Because because the shots go into the dining room. Right. And people mm-hmm. don't scream and run away because, man, it was the 40s. People were tougher back then. I'm sorry. There's like <laughs> oh, bullets, you know, as long as it doesn't hit me. Uh, as long as it doesn't break my drink. I'm fine. Right. Yeah. No. And and when Rick is, you know, being questioned about the incident, um, I love how you were talking about earlier how they have a dossier about him. And the one thing he's surprised about is the fact that I have brown eyes. <laughs> <laughs> My eyes are brown. I do world of black and white films. I guess that's a pretty funny line, right? It is, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, there's this uh, there's this market. Now, when we were doing the watch party for this movie, I, I called it a flea market. And some people were quick to point out to me that, like, no, that was just a market of the time. Yeah. Right? It's just a street market. Yep. Right. Yeah. And I love how because uh, Ilsa is there and I guess trying to like buy some stuff. Right. And then Rick comes over and then all of a sudden the offer from the person <laughs> running the stand is very generous now that Rick's there. Right. <laughs> well, it's it's a great comedic bit because it's, you know, it's the old fashioned like uh, it, uh, you're you're supposed to bargain down. Right. But she's not actually participating and he's bargaining himself down because she's not participating uh and i I, yeah it's it's funny because it's like oh a friend of rick's oh a special friend of rick's after Uh he says he came to see me last night yeah that's good stuff yeah absolutely and then we were talking about the gambling uh stuff right there because but but after they um after they overtake like they do the french national anthem they're overtaking the germans right and in retaliation (laughs) they decide to uh close rick's nightclub because there's gambling going on and then right as he's saying that, he's like, I'm close. What gives you the right to close my establishment? Well, because there's gambling going on. I'm shocked, and- <laughs> shocked to discover there's gambling going on in this. In this re- to which then he proceeds to collect his winnings from the casino like moments later. <laughs> oh, it's, a, that, it's such a, a such a great sequence where you know he comes running up uh, here oh you're winning sir and rick gives him a dirty look like hey he's shutting us down why are you why are you catering to him right now uh you can get those later yeah that's uh, classic mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and yeah like you mentioned the icon- iconic lines of all the gin joints and all the towns in the, all the world she oh, walks yeah. into mine yeah and uh yeah there's so many iconic lines in this movie apparently here's looking at you kid was uh, ad-libbed by Humphrey Bogart. That was not written in the script. That was something he was saying to Ingrid Bergman, like offset, and just worked it in when they were shooting. Yeah, that's that's amazing too. It's it's an unintentional happy accident, right? <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, any final thoughts on this movie before we give our rating? Oh, uh, yeah. I, it, every time I watch it. Uh, I don't change my opinion. Uh, I have a, I have a blast. I enjoy it. I'm never, never bored. Uh, it's just, it's just a classic and, um, I'm glad you gave me the the chance to watch it again. Yeah, absolutely. So I assume, uh, you're giving this movie a thumbs up, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if, if that's the rating, Uh certainly, uh, three thumbs up. 
Three thumbs up. Okay. Yeah, All I'm, right. I'm going to grow an extra thumb. Just for the <laughs> I'm, I'm giving it a thumbs up as well. I, re- I did enjoy it. Despite it being an old movie, it was, it was a fantastic one. And I, I, I think when I watch all other old movies now, they just won't compare to this one, you know? Uh, but uh, Tom, thank you so much uh, for being on the show. It was, it was so great having you on. Um, I'm sure most of the people that are listening to my podcast already know where to find you, but just in case they don't, uh, let people know where they can find your work. Yeah, I do uh, podcasts about technology, science fiction and fantasy, uh, watching TV shows and movies, and, and you can find them all at TomMerritt.com. Yeah, absolutely. It's particularly check out it's uh, check out Spoiler in Time because um, you and Brian uh, do kind of a similar thing to this um and you cover lots of tv shows and stuff that you've been t- watching so yeah that's at cordkillers.com uh and and we usually are watching something that's currently being released as well as something that is older uh and then we're going back and rewatching. yeah so check it out um i'm doing a watch party for each of these movies that we review on the show if you want to watch the movie with myself and fellow listeners i stream it over on my twitch you can also find me there live every wednesday and friday night over at twitch.tv slash is one But hey, if you can't make it to the party, don't you worry, because we have the watch party available exclusively to everyone supporting on Patreon. Go over to patreon.com slash is one to support the show. Uh, if you have thoughts on the movie we discussed today, there are multiple ways to contact. Uh, just go to gamenightdiscord.com. You can check out the Cinemavention channel in there. You can send me an email, email at cinemavention.com. And then you can visit our website if you want to see every other movie that we've that I've covered on this show. And all the links to subscribe are right there. Uh, music has been provided by Kevin McLeod uh, at incompetech.com. Thank you again to him for the use of the music. We'll be back next week to discuss the movie Breakfast Club with Sean McDowell. And I hope you will join us then. Until then, we'll see you next time. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>